0: Do you know what happens when you take oxygen and you mix it with helium? Nothing, absolutely nothing happens. (laughs) Do you know what happens when you take oxygen and you mix it with nitrogen or carbon? Nothing, absolutely nothing happens. Uh, The same thing when you mix oxygen with argon or neon or gold or platinum. Uh, Oxygen just doesn't mix well with those things. But what happens when you take oxygen and you mix it together with hydrogen. Well, magic, right? Magic happens when you, when you mix those two together because now we have water, which is what makes life on Earth possible. Uh, but it's not as simple as just taking a beaker of hydrogen in one hand and a beaker of oxygen in the other hand and you know, shaking them together like James Bond's martinis and then uh, you, know, you have a, a, a cup of water. Uh, that's not how it works. Uh, what you have to do is, is you have to heat these. They need an energy source outside of themselves uh, because what happens is uh, these oxygen and these hydrogen bonds, uh, the heat breaks them apart uh, and it frees them so that they can then bond to the oxygen. Uh, and so you heat them together and, and that's what happens. They break apart from each other and they form uh, one, uh, two hydrogen molecules to one oxygen molecule uh, and then we have water and we 're going to see a similar phenomenon today as we talk about the parable of the good soils, because we have we have good soil, a good seed, uh, we put it in good soil, and then it 's heated by the sun, it 's watered by the rain, and then it 's made to grow by God, uh, and that produces a harvest. And so the same kind of thing uh, is going on here. so we 'll be talking about the parable of the soils today. and after a few weeks off from Easter, uh, we 're just returning to our study in the Gospel of Mark today. so uh, I just want to reorient this a little bit. Remember, uh, this is known as the parable of the soil uh, of the sower generally, but it's really better known as the parable of the soils because in each of the four scenarios presented here, uh, it's the seed and the sower are generally the same, but it's the soil that is the variable uh, condition. So, as we're talking about uh, the parable of the soils, well, how did we get here in the Gospel of Mark? Uh, So just to briefly review, remember in in the first section of the gospel that that we said ran from the beginning through Mark chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus uh, comes. John the Baptist heralds his coming. Uh, Then Jesus comes. And as soon as he comes, uh, he is uh, antagonized by uh, demons uh, and the like in uh, chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Mark described these five controversies that Jesus was in the middle of, right? Jesus uh, forgave a paralytic uh, and healed him. Uh, Jesus called the hated Levi, uh, also known as Matthew, the tax collector, and then ate with him. Uh, Jesus didn't fast uh, when the Pharisees uh, thought that he should fast. Uh, His disciples uh, picked and ate grain on the Sabbath. And then Jesus uh, healed a man uh, with a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so uh, the point that uh, that Mark is making throughout uh, these five controversies is to show that the Pharisees could not believe that Jesus could be from God as he claimed to be because he didn't follow their man-made rules and traditions. And Jesus was saying, your man-made traditions are just that. They're man-made. They're not God-made. Uh, and they're not correct either. So that was the first section. Now, this next section in the book of Mark begins in chapter 3, verse 7, and it runs uh, into chapter 6, 13. And it's book ended by Jesus calling his disciples in uh, Mark 3 and then sending them out to preach and heal in Mark chapter 6. And we'll see uh, persecution intensifies, hostility intensifies, even from his own family. We saw that the last time we were together when they came uh, to get him. And the people from his own town, his own hometown uh, started to uh, increase hostility. Uh, demonic presence uh, begins uh, to, to increase in this section of the gospel. And Jesus even shows his authority over nature uh, in this part. And so last time when we were together uh, looking at Mark chapter 3 verses 7 uh, through 35, we saw that there are insiders to God's kingdom and there are outsiders to God's kingdom. And they're not determined by biology, by ethnicity, by religious background. Uh, the the scribes and Pharisees should have been insiders, right? Because they're ethnically religious and Jewish, like Jesus was, and yet they're outsiders because they antagonize him. And Jesus' own family should have been insiders, right? They're biologically related, they're ethnically related, they're religiously related, but they are not insiders either because they came to uh, seize him uh, and hinder his ministry because uh, they thought he had lost his senses And Jesus says, uh, it's not those who are biologically, ethnically, religiously related to me. It is those who do the will of the Father. They are my family. They are the ones who are part of the kingdom of God. They who do this, this is my mother, my brother, and uh, my sister. And so that brings us to today, uh, the parable of the soils. Uh, So both Jesus' popularity and the opposition to him were rising at the same time. Uh, And so Jesus goes out again to preach by the sea. Now, I don't think I've ever preached on a parable uh, in my time here at Grace Redeemer, so I just want to say a a word about parables before we begin. Uh, The word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which means to lay alongside of for the purpose of comparison. To lay alongside of for the purpose of comparison. So Jesus told these parables to, to illustrate spiritual truths using situations from everyday life that everyone would have been familiar with. So first century uh, Israel was an agricultural uh, society. They knew all about uh, different kinds of soils with rocks and weeds and thorns and good soil. And so uh, Jesus was using the parable uh, to teach a spiritual truth. But as we'll see, uh, these parables that Jesus used weren't just a teaching technique. They were, but they were more than that. They were really tests of who has ears to hear and who does not have ears to hear. Who are the insiders and who are the outsiders to Jesus' family and to Jesus' kingdom? Those who understand the parables, they have ears to hear. They're insiders to the kingdom. Those who don't have ears to hear, they're outsiders to the kingdom. They don't understand Jesus' parables. And last time I said that uh, when Mark presents Jesus in chapter 3 and the scribes and Pharisees reject him, they attribute his works to Beelzebul. From this point forward, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Mark treats the scribes and Pharisees as though they're outsiders, as though they are not part of Jesus' family and the kingdom of God, and there is complete opposition to Jesus. And that's why Jesus began to speak to them in parables, because they're outside the family. And those who don't understand, who reject him, don't understand the parables because they are outside the family of God and Jesus explains the parables to his insiders. And so I know that probably many of you have read the parable of the soils a hundred times, a thousand times, I don't know. Uh, But let's try and look at this parable as though it's the first time we've ever read it because this parable is very convicting because it really tests the condition of our own hearts too. This parable is not just about salvation. Uh, It's about producing fruit and fruit can only be produced in good soil. And good, good soil is equivalent to a good heart, a, a heart that is interested uh, in producing fruit. So uh, the question for us today is, are we good soil? After all these years of being Christians, are we still good soil? Or has our, have our hearts become uh, rocky or hard or thorny? Uh, so let's think about that as we, as we study this parable. So let's read the parable itself. Uh, this is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd, large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was trying, uh, or saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold and he was saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So uh, remember, Jesus is still up in uh, the, the area of Galilee. That's the northern part of the Sea of Galilee uh, in Capernaum when he was uh, delivering this parable. And the crowds were still gathering together to hear him speak. And so again, Jesus commandeered a boat and he got into the boat and waded out a little bit uh, so he could talk to the crowds uh, without being smothered by them. Uh, so I just want to note that Jesus sat down. Did you notice that in the beginning? He sat down to teach, and I'm sure partially that was for balance in a boat, but we also ought to notice that sitting down was the position of authority. That's the position that rabbinic teachers took when they were going to teach, they sat down. So remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus went up on the hill, he sat down and began to teach them. And I don't think that was lost on them, that he was assuming that position of authority. Now let's talk about the process of sowing seed. You know, modern farmers, they plow their fields before they plant their seed. That way they can see the condition of the soil, they can you know, get rid of any large rocks or anything that the plowing unearths uh, before they plant. But in the first century, that's not how they did it. Uh, they didn't plow first. They just removed any old growth that they might be able to see in the top of the ground. And then they scattered seed by hand. They had a pouch around their shoulder filled with seed. And they would just toss the soil or uh, the seed as they went. But they didn't know the condition of the soil underneath. Now, once the seed was scattered on the ground, then they would use like these crude uh, garden tools to kind of plow the seed into uh, the ground and soften the soil. And that's why this parable was about the soil, uh, which represents the human heart more than it is about the seed. Now, Mark doesn't identify the sower in this parable, and neither do Matthew or Luke uh, in their versions of the parable. So it could be that that Jesus is talking about himself, and and it probably is. But still, this this has further application to anybody who sows the word, right? Even you and me, we can be the sowers uh, who sow the word. And Mark also doesn't specifically say that the seed is the word of God, but Matthew and Luke do in their parallel passages. So what we know is that the word does not change, but it's the condition of the soil that is the variable in this parable. Now, let's look at the parable itself. The sower sows his seed into four different kinds of soil, right? One type of soil is the path, Uh, then there is the rocky soil, then there is the thorns, and then there is the good soil. And of course, the results are not surprising, right? The seed does not flourish on the path because it looks like this, it's trampled down, right? It's it's rocky, there isn't very much dirt. uh, So there's no place for it to take root. And sometimes uh, you might get like a weed or something like this that grows in rocky soil, uh, but this is gonna die quickly. Uh, There's no place for any other seed to grow and bear fruit because uh, there's no real soil among this uh, type of, of, uh, of soil either. And then the seed among the thorns, it can begin to grow up, uh, but the thorns are going to use up all that soil, and there's going to be no soil uh, to support uh, the the crop. So it will choke out the seed. So these are three different kinds of soils. This is everyday life in first century Israel. Everybody knew uh, these agricultural realities. The only seed that is productive is the seed that is sown in good soil. You see that dark, rich soil? That is going to produce a crop. Now, the only surprising thing uh, to these people who are listening to this parable uh, is uh, that uh, Jesus said the seed planted in this soil would produce a crop 30 times, 60 times, 100 times uh, the amount of seed sown. Now, in those days, a good harvest was considered a yield of 10 times the seed sown. So, so this is surprising uh, that, that the kingdom of God, the, the, the soil that Jesus is talking about, could produce A crop 30 times, uh, 60 times, 100 times. That is the kind of of growth that we can expect in the kingdom of God. So that's the parable itself, right? That's all Jesus said to them. uh, And that's all most people heard. Only the disciples got the explanation later, right? Uh, And in private. So if you were there and you were hearing Jesus tell this parable what would you have thought he was talking about, right? Like, it's easy to imagine that a farmer would be there listening to Jesus tell this parable, and the farmer is thinking, okay, let me do my best not to waste seed by scattering it, scattering it on any kind of soil that's not good soil. I don't want to waste seed on the rocky soil, the thorny soil, uh, whatever. Uh, that's what they would have taken away from that. But we have the benefit of, you know, 2,000 years of church history, and we have verses 13 to 20, Jesus' explanation of this parable. Uh, So we understand uh, that Jesus is talking about spiritual truths here. He's not giving lessons in agriculture, right? We know that. Uh, But the original hearers who only heard the parable, they they might not have known that. They're left there to interpret the parable uh, for themselves without the explanation. And, you know, not even Jesus' disciples knew what he was talking about. They didn't understand it either. Later, when they were alone, that's when they asked Jesus, you know, tell us what the meaning of this parable is. Uh, But before Jesus explained the meaning of the parable to them, uh, first he explained the purpose of all parables in verses 10 through 12. Uh, He says this, uh, when he was alone... The twelve and the others gathered around and asked him about the parables. And he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is told in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven." So here Jesus introduces the secret of the kingdom of God. Your translation may say the mystery of the kingdom of God. Uh, 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 In the New Testament, a mystery is something that has been concealed uh, up until this point during Old Testament times, but now has been revealed uh, by God in the New Testament. So in Ephesians chapter 3, for example, the mystery is that the Gentiles and the Jews are fellow heirs and partakers of uh, Jesus's uh, gospel. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, the mystery is about the rapture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And here, the purpose of the parable and the mystery here is to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like multiplication, a greater than we can imagine, not 10 times, but 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, a greater harvest than we can even imagine on earth but because his own people rejected him, he spoke in parables. And so Jesus used the parables to conceal the mystery to the outsiders, uh, to those who rejected him, but to reveal the mystery uh, to those who heard Jesus' words, believed them, and put them into practice. So the outsiders don't understand, but Jesus grants insight to uh, his insiders, uh, to those who believe. And isn't that a tragedy uh, to the outsiders, Uh, you know, revelation, insight, faith, uh, understanding, the kingdom of God, they're available to everybody, and yet only those uh, who hear Jesus, who believe him, who follow him, who put these things into practice, they were the ones who will understand. And those who reject Jesus, uh, they won't understand. The, the, The spiritual meaning of the parable is hidden. We spend some time on Easter Sunday talking about uh, the human condition, the human predicament, right, that, that we are all born uh, in this state of being unable to respond to God uh, because we are spiritually dead. Uh, and that is what the, what this rocky soil is. It, it's dead soil. It, it cannot produce something. Uh, and so uh, when, when we're born spiritually dead as we are, we are unable to respond to spiritual truth. And that's the condition of everybody who rejects Jesus. They, they don't comprehend Jesus' teaching because they are spiritually dead. So just like oxygen and and, uh, hydrogen, when you put them together, you need an external source to heat them to make the chemical reaction happen. Uh, Even with unbelievers, you need the word and then you need the Holy Spirit within them uh, to to do uh, the activating, uh, to do the regenerating, uh, to make that seed grow. Uh, And and sadly, this doesn't happen for most people. In fact, in verse 12, Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter six, Verse 9, talking about those who who perceive, will not understand. uh, Because they suffer from the same spiritual condition even 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah's day, God told Isaiah, go and preach the message. And Isaiah says, for how long, Lord? And and God says to him, well, it's going to be discouraging, Isaiah. You're going to go out and preach for a long time. And no one's going to believe. Can you imagine getting a commission like that? Uh, God told them that Israel was blind and they were going to reject his message. But it's not that Jesus uses parables to blind people. It's that they don't understand because they're blind. Uh, They refuse to see. Now, to be fair, the disciples didn't get it either, right? But at least they had uh, the the, uh, faith to follow Jesus and the insight to ask. And so that brings us to verses 13 to 20, where Jesus interprets the parable for them. Uh, So verse 13, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that has been sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a 100 times what was sown. So Jesus begins by saying, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? And I don't think he was being like snarky or sarcastic with them. I think he wanted to tell them that there is a key to understanding that you need to have. Somehow this parable is the key to understanding all the parables. Well, what is the key? The key is hearing with spiritual ears. Remember when I was talking about the farmer before, he probably thought that Jesus was literally talking about agricultural lessons, and that's all he would have heard, uh, how this story might apply to farming. He didn't understand that there was a spiritual dimension to Jesus' parables. But once the disciples grasped that Jesus was teaching spiritual meaning using just uh, regular everyday illustrations, uh, they would have the key what Jesus referred to as ears to hear. And so Jesus is giving them ears to hear. The sower uh, sows the seed, which is the word of God. So both the sower and the word are good. Uh, It's the soil that changes, Uh, that's the only variable. And so Jesus compared people's hearts to various kinds of soil. Uh, Some people's hearts are like the hard path. Well, what does that mean? Their their hearts are hardened. Uh, There is no soil in there. They are not receptive to the word. And so it's like trampled down soil that has no chance to produce any crop. Uh, Before uh, it can even think to produce crop, Satan comes and he can steal that seed away before it begins to grow. Some seed lands on rocky soil. Uh, It hasn't been plowed first, so there's no place for the roots to burrow. And so it might spring up a little bit of growth, uh, but it won't last. And this represents people who are enthusiastically uh, all fired up about the word of God when they first hear it. And they seemingly receive it but their profession of faith is shallow and it can't withstand the trials of life and the hardships of life and as soon as that faith is tested uh, quickly it withers it falls away because their profession of faith was never genuine and some seed lands on the thorns Uh, again it starts to grow but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things uh, makes this word unfruitful and the problem here is having feet in both worlds. right? Uh, I think some people genuinely want to have, uh, have their feet in the kingdom, but, but they can't get themselves out of uh, the concerns of earthly living. Uh, they can't surrender the things of this world. This was the problem with the rich young ruler, right? Go sell everything you have, come follow me. And the man went away sad because uh, he had much uh, property. So these people never that that everything that the world has to offer is temporal, It's fleeting, we can't take it with us into eternity, uh, and yet we're prisoners of these things that we hold so dear. Uh, The kingdom of God is eternal, Uh, so people who get distracted about worries and riches rather than focusing on, on eternity with Jesus are missing the point. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, treasure up, uh, don't treasure up things uh, on earth where, where uh, moth can eat and, and rust can destroy and thieves rob, uh, but uh, store up things uh, in heaven for your treasure. Uh, and so uh, that is what Jesus is, is admonishing them to do here. Now, good seed needs good soil to produce a good harvest, just like oxygen uh, needs hydrogen and heat to produce water. And that's what we see in this last soil. This last soil represents a person who has a good heart, good soil in the heart, receives it with joy, believes it, and puts it into practice. And that heart will produce an abundant harvest. And so if there's no harvest, the problem is not with the sower. The, harvest is, uh, the, the problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. It, it's our hearts that is the problem. And so uh, that's what we need to be aware of. How, How soft are our hearts? How good is the soil of our hearts? We need to ask ourselves that question. And as we think about that, what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of God? Well, when God rules, when God reigns, sowers sow good seed in good soil, and they reap a massive harvest. And so while we're on this earth, this is what God is calling us to do. That's why I asked Dick to read the Great Commission for us this morning, because that's what this is all about. We are to sow the word, we are to pray it lands on good soil, and that it produces a harvest 30, 60, 100 times. And the thing that I really want us to understand today is that uh, a, so, uh, you know, a heart, a soil that was soft you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, whenever you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, does not guarantee that your heart stays soft 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. We have to continue to maintain this good soil. Uh, A farmer who who takes care of his soil only in the first year is not going to be able to produce a crop 10 years later. You have to constantly take care of that soil. Uh, So the soil has to remain good and only a heart that maintains good soil is going to want to continue to sow seed. So that leads me to Grace Redeemer's mission to sow seed. So I wanna take a few minutes to talk about what we're doing here at Grace Redeemer to sow seed and to produce a massive harvest. I think we have a massive opportunity right now in our neighborhood, in the place where God has planted us to produce a massive harvest where we are. And you'll remember that uh, at our annual meeting uh, in January, I spoke for a few minutes about uh, our our plans, our vision to to reach this Hispanic community uh, around our church with the gospel. So I just want to tell you a little bit more uh, about this vision that we have. Now, there are some things that we know uh, and there are some things that we still don't know. So I want to tell you about what we know first. Uh, one that the, the, the demographics of this community suggest that there is a need to serve this Hispanic community in our neighborhood. And as many of you know, if you've been here for a while, we have tried various ways to reach this different, this distinct community. Uh, you know, we've had ministry at the O. Henry School, which is behind us about four blocks. Uh, we've done a lot uh, with them. Uh, we've held trunk or treats. We've held uh, back-to-school backpack giveaways, uh, we've had slip and slides and bounce houses out there in the lot. Uh, we've uh, walked door to door, handing out flyers, inviting people to come to our events. And you know that we've had uh, you know, a couple of visitors here or there, but, but certainly not what we would call a massive harvest. When we were serving at the O. Henry Carnival a couple of months ago, uh, it's, God kind of opened my eyes as, as to what was going on. Uh, you know, here we are, you know, 15, you know, 55 and older white people speaking English, serving uh, all these people who are younger than us, speaking Spanish as their first language. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> obviously, uh, they don't speak our language. Of course, they're not going to come to us. We have to go to them. Paul said, Uh, I became all things to all people so that I may share the gospel with some. So our mission is to reach the lost people of our neighborhood with the gospel. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, our vision is to begin a Spanish-speaking church right here at Grace Redeemer Community Church, and we're we're working on action steps now with the uh, Evangelical Free uh, District Office to figure out how we can put these things into practice. So let me tell you what we've done so far. Uh, We've asked them uh, to run a demographic study of our neighborhood to see exactly what it looks like. And so they ran demographic reports. I don't know if you can see that or not, but uh, that is a rectangle that runs from uh, Buckingham Buckingham Road out here, our our road uh, to the north, south to Forest Avenue, and then east-west from, uh, I think it's either Audelia or Abrams Road uh, to uh, North Garland on the other side. Uh, So that's a pretty big area that it's covering. Uh, and I'll show you what uh, this has revealed. I don't know if you'll be able to make out this pie chart. Uh, but it shows, obviously, that we're located in a very diverse community. Uh, that dark maroon area, that represents the Hispanic uh, Latino community uh, in, that, in that area that we, that we studied. That's 47% of the people in our community identify as Hispanic or Latino as compared with 19% white, African American, and 15% Asian, so a very, very diverse community, but almost 50% of this community is Hispanic Latino. And of that rectangle that I showed you, there are 21,000 people in that rectangle who identify as Hispanic Latino, and that is expected to increase in 2025 to 25,000. Now, of those 21,000, only 27% of that 21,000 are actively engaged in any kind of church whatsoever. Uh, And that leaves 73% of this neighborhood that is not engaged in any kind of church at all. So we have a massive harvest that we could reap in our neighborhood. So we know that, demographically speaking, we live in a very highly Hispanic-Latino neighborhood. We also know that Lake Point Community Church, right across the street from us out there, uh, they had a uh, Hispanic service. It was a live, in-person Hispanic service, which drew some 400 people uh, every Sunday. Now, Lake Point has moved out of that building, as you know, and they've moved five or six miles down the road onto 635 across the street from Watermark. Uh, I don't know how many people have moved with uh, Lake Point and how many just didn't, didn't and they're still here and they don't have a church. Uh, so we know that they're gone uh, and we know that that could potentially create a void in the neighborhood for uh, Hispanic ministry that, that doesn't exist right now. So on paper, it seems, uh, just looking at the demographics, that there is a strong need for a Spanish-speaking uh, uh, church in our community. So, uh, here's what we don't know. Uh, it's one thing to see it on paper, it's another thing to, to know that it exists in reality, right? and that's what we're trying to figure out. Uh, we're trying to figure out, to, even though there's an, it seems like there's an apparent need, is there an actual need? So we don't know how many of the 400 people at Lake Point went with them, maybe all 400, but it may be none of the 400, and I'm having lunch, Uh, with the uh, guy who uh, was the Hispanic pastor over there uh, and now has moved with the church. I'm going to have lunch with him next week, and we're going to talk about uh, these issues. Uh, And so we'll see if we can figure out and then pick pick, uh, his brain to figure out how uh, we can reach the people who may have been left. What we also don't know is the number of active Hispanic churches in our uh, community. Uh, If you do a Google search and just type in Hispanic churches in Garland into the Google bar, a whole bunch of them pop up. Uh, Most of them are downtown, but there are a few that are just uh, on the other side of that North Garland Avenue border that I showed you. But when you try to look up these churches, most of them have no websites. And it's hard to tell if they're active churches or if they've folded or maybe it's a house church. Uh, we just don't know. So we need to do more research about that. But, but we're hopeful and it's possible that we could potentially draw a core group of people to, to start something here uh, from one of those various churches if they're looking for a home. Uh, so we're researching whether, whether there is that real need in the community, both uh, from the number of people uh, at Lake Point and if there are any active churches serving uh, this community. Community in our area. The other thing we don't know is costs, obviously, right? Uh, we assume that we're going to need a pastor, uh, and certainly we will, who is bilingual, probably younger, 30s to 40s, dynamic, extroverted, energetic, evangelistic, humble, patient, good luck, right? Uh, we need all of these things. We have to find uh, the right pastor. But the good news is, that E-Free uh, of Oklahoma, Texas, our, our district that we're part of, they're very much behind our efforts here. Uh, and they've done this before. They have several uh, churches uh, who have uh, started Hispanic churches within their English-speaking church. And so they're behind our efforts. And in fact, that's one of e Free's stated goals. They wanna plant more Hispanic churches, because as you know, uh, Texas now has more Hispanic Latino than it even does white people in uh, the state of Texas now. So the need is growing, and Efri wants to capitalize on that. And they've helped other churches start Spanish-speaking churches in uh, their own church. Uh, so what we're talking about here is a church plant. This is a church plant within our church. That's what we're talking about. And we know that EFRI wants to help us because that's what EFRI does. And they certainly want to help us with the costs, but we just don't know yet to what extent. Uh, and so we'll find out uh, through further discussions in time uh, what that's going to look like. But unfortunately, our main contact at eFree just left for a six-week sabbatical, uh, so uh, these things take time, right? And uh, so we're gonna need to be patient, and when I say we, I mean me. Uh, I'm gonna have to learn to be patient. Uh, so. Uh, Obviously, we're still very much in the exploratory phase of this, and things tend to move at glacial speed. So uh, I really just want to keep you up to date. We're not moving forward on anything until we answer some of these uh, questions about actual need and actual cost, but we want you to be informed. And what we really want now is for you to pray. Uh, That's what we need. We, We need to bathe this thing in prayer. You know, we talked about it very generally in January, and I haven't said anything about it since, but now I want us to really be thinking about this, you know, add it to your prayer list, however it is that that you uh, decide what you're praying about on a given day. I'd like this to be part of everybody's prayer concerns, because uh, we want to see God's will done, uh, and and I want us just to have this kind of soil that we're talking about in the parable of soils, this dark, rich, fertile soil uh, that wants to uh, reach this neighborhood, that wants to sow seed and and reach the lost. And you might say, you know, why are we doing this? Uh, You know, things are pretty good at Grace Redeemer Church right now, aren't they? I mean, we have a pretty thriving congregation and things are, are going pretty well here and we could just rest on our laurels. Uh, but I don't think that's what God has for us. I think God has a big vision for us. I think that's why he put us here in this neighborhood to begin with. I think God's plans for us are much bigger uh, than what we're doing right now. And I think... Uh, you know, we've been watching what's been happening around the country. I think God wants us to get involved in this revival that started at Asbury Seminary and spread to other places around the country and is still ongoing, although it's not getting the press that it was getting in the beginning. So who knows what God will do right here in Garland through a church that is good soil, that's willing and active and eager uh, to reach out to his lost sheep. Now, I'm sure that, that what I've said today has raised more questions than answers, and, and I know that that's going to, to be the case. Uh, I and the elders will answer whatever questions we have, uh, whatever questions that we can answer from you. Uh, but you know, as, as of now, uh, we're still working on big picture things like needs and costs. We'll obviously have to work out logistical issues uh, later on if this thing is going to go forward, like how two churches can share one building uh, at the same time. But, but I think those are questions for, for down the road once we figure out needs and costs. Uh, so we're, we're, as I said, we're talking about a church plant here, and that that might seem like a monumental task. And I would suggest to you that it is. It is a monumental task. But sometimes the things that are too big for us, that's where God comes in, right? We're trusting God with these kinds of things. And I'll remind you uh, that Grace Redeemer itself started uh, like a church plant, right? It started as as a house church with you know five, six, seven couples. Uh, 11 years ago, and now look what God has done, right? We don't want to put a cap on God and say, this is what God can do, and this is what God can't do, or what he will do, or what he won't do. Let's just walk through open doors and, and see what God will do with this, and so we need to ask God for his will and trust him with the results. And uh, I'm praying that you're all behind this and that if the need exists, that God will bring the right pastor and that he'll bring the finances to lead uh, this Spanish-speaking church. Our goal is to scatter seed uh, and to uh, just try to raise up a new generation of believers in this neighborhood for God's glory. So we sow the seed. It's up to God to make it grow. Now, as you all know by now, uh, Charles Stanley passed into glory this week, right? And he's face to face with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, in 2010, uh, Southwestern uh, Theological Seminary honored him w- with a luncheon for lifelong service uh, to, uh, to the world and for spreading the gospel. Uh, and his response during his speech was, I have one goal. Get the truth of the gospel to as many people as possible as quickly as possible, as simply as possible, in the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God. That's the Great Commission, right? That is the Great Commission. That is a sower went out to sow. And that's what God calls us to do. That's our mission and vision here at Grace Redeemer Community Church. We have the truth of the gospel. Jesus says he's coming back soon. And so there is urgency. So let's spread as much seed as we can. Let's pray that it lands on good soil and trust God with the results. And who knows, maybe God will reap a harvest 30, 60, 100 times. I pray that you'll be praying about this. And I ask you to pray with me now. Lord God. Uh, you've given us a big vision here at Grace Redeemer Community Church and, and we're excited about it Lord. there are unknowns, plenty of them uh, but you are the Lord of the unknowns. you are the God of, of what we don't know and what we can't handle and what's too big for us Lord. and so uh, we just pray that that uh, we will be faithful to your vision for this church. Uh, Lord, we will continue to op- walk through open doors and Lord continue to rely on you and trust you uh, with whatever the outcome of this is Lord. Uh, We just want to uh, lay ourselves uh, open to you now uh, and profess to you that we are uh, willing and ready and able uh, to make the sacrifices that are necessary uh, to do this kind of ministry, Lord. And I pray, uh, as this whole church does, I hope that, that you will bless this, Lord, that we might produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times. May it all be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.